Dear listeners, welcome to the second episode of the Voices of the Humanities. My name is Hanna Nijtmans. And I am Diego Casas. We are going to be the hosts for this show today. Today, we are going to have a slightly different podcast than the last one that we did. Maybe you have listened to it. We are going to discuss today the fine line between free speech and hate speech. And, 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 and to discuss that, we're going to focus on a problem or something that happened here in Groningen, which was the case of Pocliter. Pocliter, for those that don't know, he's a philosopher and he's affiliated to the Dutch Populist Party Forum for Democracy. But I don't know what, what happened exactly, honey. Right. Yeah. Uh, Paul Pocliter is, as you said, he's a professor of philosophy from University of Leiden. And he was going to speak at an event called Nacht voor de De uh, Philosophie, which translates as Night of the Philosophy. And he was going to speak about the subject uh, theoterrorism versus freedom of speech. And his idea is that the Islamic faith is not compatible with Western liberal democracies. So, and also, yeah, like you already said, he is affiliated with the Dutch um, party Forum for the Democratie, which is a Dutch political party that won tremendously in the last Dutch election. And it is led by Thierry Baudet, who is also sort of a controversial figure, I guess. Um, and, and this party has really been criticized for, for sexist comments by Baudet, um, Also, their denial of climate change and more recently um, their idea of the Netherlands exiting uh, the European Union has also caused some caused a lot of debate. So I would say it's um, it's safe to say that uh, as a speaker um, and affiliated with Forum for Democracy, Paul Klieter is quite a controversial person. But what happened in Groningen? Well, what I know is that in the moment that it was announced that he was going to speak, Paul Litter in this case, this sparked a protest from students and also from staff members, not always staff members, but like some of them. And people were demanding him not to speak exactly because of this sexist or xenophobic or racist comments that he was starting to get famous for. But at the same time, Litter himself, he sent an open letter to the Post online, which is like, it's a newspaper it's a yeah it's like an i think it's sort of an, an online forum but pretty affiliated to sort of right-wing politics i would assume nice and also other student forums here from groningen uh started to express their opinions as well that the danger would be exactly to not let him speak that we should let him speak and have this free speech situation in which people could maybe oppose what he was saying but it was not clever to just 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 not let him speak right right so To discuss the situation, to discuss like this fine line between free speech and hate speech, we brought here the organizer of the protest against Clitur, Fidle Rose. Fidle is very active in the Groningen Feminist Network. She's also part of the Extinction Rebellion, which is a group that protests against climate change. And she also wrote an ar article about Clitur and about this, this whole situation, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it was a whole reflection, actually, on, on what happened. So... I guess it's a very uh, interesting guest to have, right? Yeah. Um, so we also have another guest, um, and his name is Nart Willemse. He is a student of American studies as well. Um, and he is also active outside university, or maybe also inside university, but he took a break from studying to really pursue student politics. So um, he's currently the leader of uh, the Vrije Student. And um, yeah, he's very active in thinking about how the university works and and i would say he's also um out there and yeah mm -hmm. doing things so i think right. we both have people now who are not just not just sitting in university but they're actively trying to change the world for a different situation right nice that's that's super nice and i think that we had like a very nice conversation 
Yeah. And yeah, for me, it was quite instructive as well to know a little bit more about Dutch politics. And I think that people will enjoy it as well. Yeah, let's listen. Yes. So I guess uh, I, the first question to start with, uh, Firle, what could be a reason for not having Kliter here? Okay, so um, the reason that I would say it's not a good idea to give someone like uh, Kliter a platform to speak is that um, giving... I, I, I do believe in the freedom of speech, but giving someone who has these views... Uh, which are, in my view, xenophobic views and which really uh, try to outline uh, the problem of terrorism, terrorism as a, a, a problem that more or less exclusively originates from uh, Muslim fundamentalists or like is Islamic, uh, like basically focusing entirely on Islamic terrorism, thereby making it seem like making us all want to feel like th there's this connection between Muslim Muslim communities and terrorism. Uh, that's kind of a picture of this painting. And I think that uh, that is a very xenophobic picture that also makes very little sense. But apart from whether or not I like the extent to which I disagree with his views, I think it's also um, that you can, it's also simply a case that you can just classify these views as uh, hate speech. And um, of course, there. Of course, freedom of speech is important. Everybody can uh, say something and about almost anything. However, I think you have to uh, understand that once you give a person a platform to speak during a prestigious event like the Night of Philosophy, it kind of elevates what they're saying to the position to the p position of something that needs to be heard. So it's it's not just they're not just speaking to anyone, they're speaking to an audience, you're giving them an audience, you're saying like, okay, this view really needs to be heard, it needs to be considered. And I, I don't believe that it's very constructive at all to um, give to, yeah, to give this kind of benefit of the doubt to, um, to viewpoints that are really trying to, well, dehumanize or to legitimize the dehumanization of certain uh, minorities. I don't think that is a healthy choice at all. So. Right. Yeah, it's a very clear point. Um, I do think that there might also be a counterpoint to that. Or, um, well, Nark, what do you think? What would you? Yes, I'm. I mostly agree with the way you're viewing his uh, viewpoints mm -hmm. uh, politically. But I think uh, two things. Like, it's an academic uh, audience that was there with the night of philosophy, at least mainly. And I think the academia academic world is like open to all viewpoints and should like be able to uh, resist or counter them those arguments and I think that's the most important one if you this is someone that has this viewpoints uh, which you should be able to like counter instead of like uh, mute because if you're muting them I think it's even more dangerous mm. also for like <coughs> getting his political views in in, in, in the parliament than if you're just muting it or if you're allowing it and mm -hmm. like countering it. Yeah, I, d I do see your, I do understand your point. Um, however, I think, so the, the whole argument for giving someone like this a platform in, a, in an event like the Night of Philosophy is that you then give people also the opportunity to put a critical light on his ideas, right? Mm -hmm. That's kind of like the idea mm -hmm. behind it. But 
I think that in practice, when you see how this actually plays out in practice, it rarely works. Because what actually happened during the night of philosophy is that he gave his lecture and then two audience members were able to ask a question. And then he decided like, oh, wait, this audience is way too critical for me. I'm, I'm out of here. And then, I, then he left. So essentially, what, really, what it really comes down to is he came to Groningen, he got paid, he participated in an event where he could go in depth with an explanation about his hateful viewpoints. And then after that, he got a few uh, slightly embarrassing questions and left. So I don't know, is that, for me, that's still a net win for for his viewpoints. And you're still, you, you still facilitated someone who's views border on fascism yeah, yeah. <laughs> to, 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 to share those views with a fairly wide and mixed audience, some of whom will indeed be very critical of them and just understand like, okay, this, this person is really making a point here that I don't agree with, but others might think like, well, maybe he does have a point, you know, and, and it does in a way, it did in, in a way legitimize uh, his viewpoints because he can now put on his CV like, yeah, I, I spoke at the night of philosophy. So he's now of, like, again, confirmed in the idea that he's a philosopher, which I do not believe, but yes. <laughs> No, I, See what I, mean? I agree, except for one thing. I think the, it was mostly an academic audience there, mm -hmm. and we're all, all academics are raised with the philosophy that they should be critical towards anything. Like mm -hmm. if somebody says something is red, then they should already question if it's really red. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one difference. And the other one is that I think that in the modern society, his viewpoints are going to be exposed no matter what. If he's going to do it here, Night of Philosophy, uh, I think it's even better because then you already have this critical, even though it's we're only, I agree that there could have been more critical uh, sound towards him. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, he's going to do it on an internet side where people are only seeing his viewpoints and are really starting to believe it. Or in the media, like Forum for Democracy, their whole campaign this last, uh, there previously two campaigns for the... Uh, Providence, is yeah. it Providence? Yeah, and for the municipality, province, 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 yeah. provincial <laughs> elections. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. They were all by, based on this idea that they are only going to uh, throw them one viewpoint, and there's no debate about it. Yeah. So I think that's yeah. uh, it's some kind of form of populism, mm -hmm. which works no matter what in current society's media's. Yeah. And yeah. that's why I kind of feel that I don't really mind if he's speaking for the night of philosophy because it's another media with at least some critical notes to his. I, I would like to make a question because yeah. maybe to give a little bit of context as well. First about the night of philosophy, like because maybe the problem is more with the format of the night of philosophy as mm -hmm. you guys are explaining it now. So like maybe it would be interesting to, to, to discuss a little bit of the format of the event itself. And also something that you, you said about him not being a philosopher. I don't know him. But like just to understand that, he, he, he's a professor of philosophy, right? Yes. In the University of Leiden. Yep. Yeah. So we know he yes, <laughs> technically he, yeah. So yes, technically. Yeah. Institutionally, yeah. he is a philosopher, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then, like, as well, how to categorize that. Like, is he a philosopher? Is he not a philosopher? And then how to, 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 to discriminate that? And also a little bit of the event itself. He also, like... Can uh, you say something about the event, maybe? 
and yeah, then I can ask, answer. Yeah, I wasn't there. That's oh, maybe something. You weren't there. Yeah, maybe you can explain me. But yeah. Okay, so um, basically, the Night of Philosophy was uh, mm -hmm. um, had a very interesting te theme, which is uh, uh, it was about failing and stumbling or something like that. And um, so they just um, invited a whole very wide selection of speakers who each spoke on a topic related to failure or or making mistakes and maybe also how making mistakes could be a learning tool or something it was in in a way quite an interesting topic um and then they also decided to yeah to, to also include people who are for example like like Cliteur, who are believing that the west is failing you know whatever the west exactly is but yes so this idea was being uh yeah was was considered to be interesting enough for the night of philosophy so uh i do think that the way the night of philosophy was set up was quite diverse and uh, i think that also led to its having such a diverse and critical audience And that's that is that was something that I was pleasantly surprised with mm -hmm. when we organized a protest outside. We spoke uh, with a lot of uh, visitors, and um, to my surprise, quite a few of them were quite interested in what we had to say, and mm -hmm. they were like, "Yeah, I think I'm going to that lecture, and I'm going to ask some critical questions." So it was very nice. Uh, it's very different, uh, for example, than an event where you just invite one speaker and it's a speaker from FVD or PVV or mm -hmm. something, then you know that only their fan yeah. boys and girls will <laughs> kind of like come out of the woodworks and all gather in one place. Uh, here it was a very diverse uh, crowd, so that that was very nice. And I also thought it was especially clever of them to uh, program uh, uh, a speaker on, on the topic of, I don't remember her name, uh, but a speaker uh, on the topic of white innocence uh, directly or yeah white innocence directly mm -hmm. after the after uh, Cliteur's talk which was interesting and if I remember correctly she also asked a question directly to Cliteur because she was in the yeah. audience mm -hmm. that was quite interesting uh, so yeah in in terms of uh, format of uh, a night of philosophy I think uh, very strong about it is the diversity of viewpoints that it that it shows Uh, not so strong about it is the lack of actual opportunity for debates that it provides. For every speaker. Yes, yeah. because there are so many speakers and they have so many topics that they want to talk about. So they don't have that much time to just have like a half hour discussion exactly. afterwards. They, don't, yeah. they don't, literally don't have the time. And also I feel speakers are just a lot of the time. Like I don't know exactly how they planned it, but it seemed to me like speakers were just a lot of the time slot. And then they would just, of course, use most of their time for their lecture and then have a few minutes yeah, at the end for some questions, questions yeah. right? So that wasn't so ideal. But the way I'm hearing it now is that there are some other sounds and viewpoints as well being displayed. There's a that is true. Yeah. And maybe, like, I'm not saying I'm personally agreeing, but some people in the audience were uh, for Cliteur and, like, against white... Uh, supremacy was white innocence. In white innocence, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. like maybe they are like fed up with that statement. So I think if there's mm -hmm. room for every standpoint, then it, in my view, a lot of it can happen. But mm. I agree. I'm not 
politically agreeing with Clitor or Forum or something. No, I get so, yeah. that. Yeah, I get right. that. So I guess it's um, we all sort of agree. I guess that um, if the problem is not necessarily giving him a platform, the problem is the lack of discussion, perhaps afterwards. Yeah. And I guess um, so. Maybe our idea is that um, whenever you display these ideas, um, you would have to have some kind of uh, ability to counter response or directly direct response yeah. on that because there were other topics, mm -hmm. but. There was no room to directly respond to him or to another speaker or to. Mm -hmm. So for for so say if there's going to be another event, and they would, um, you know, invite a similar uh, speaker who has similar points of view, um, how would what would be something we would approve or how would, like half an hour of discussion would sort of yeah. maybe solve it in a way. I think there's never on, on such a big event. There's never going to be. Because to be honest, everybody's going, or most of the people going there are going there to see one person and his viewpoints. Mm -hmm. And I would love to have like bigger discussions afterwards, but is it practical? Mm -hmm. Is it workable? That's mm -hmm. a question so, for you. So <laughs> I want to, I want to kind of take a step back right now and kind of mm -hmm. because it seems like right now we're reaching a consensus on the idea that that platforming someone with views like this mm -hmm. is a good idea right as long as as long as there's an opportunity acceptable. for mm -hmm. as, as long it's an acceptable idea as mm -hmm. long as there's an opportunity for debate but i also like i i'm still hesitant to even accept that position because mm -hmm. i also want to make you all aware of how 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 platforming actually works so how, who gets a platform and why do they get a platform you have to understand that this is not some kind of, this is not like the how a person gets a platform to voice their ideas that doesn't happen in like complete isolation. It happens within a, an entire power structure, right? Mm -hmm. So who organizes Night of Philosophy? I don't know exactly who, but my guess is many of them are white and upper mm -hmm. middle class, right? Uh, mm -hmm. And they are in this academic world, which in itself is a world accessible only through a series of, yeah. of gateways for which you need to have certain privileges to get through those gateways. So, so yeah. if you, if you, what I'm trying to get at is that in order to be in a position to choose who gets a platform mm -hmm. during an event like this, you are already in a position of relative privilege and you are already very likely, it's also very likely that you are in a position where whatever these views are, they're very interesting as a political debate, they're very interesting as an intellectual exercise, but they will not directly affect you personally. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't want to generalize. Of mm -hmm. course, it's very possible that some of the people on the organizing team are Muslim, for example. <laughs> but I mean, I, I just want to say that in, 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 in general, the people who make decisions about who gets a platform tends to be the same kind of club all the time well more or less maybe and some of them may be more progressive some of them may mm -hmm. have more conservative views more some of them more centrist views so there's a lot of very variation in that of course but still you're you you have to so from the side of who gives the platform there is there is this specific structure and then also who who are the people who all, always get the platforms and that's also like again very often again it's still mostly like mostly men, mostly whites, mostly upper middle class people. And then, um, you, so this whole idea of a free marketplace of ideas, right? That's the, that's the ideal of free speech. So everybody, 
everybody gets a say and all opinions are considered. And then in the end, the most reasonable, rational and uh, practical kind of solution that leads to the least human harm or something is, is the one that is selected as like the one that we go for. But that doesn't really work when you have only a group, when, when there's this illusion of a free marketplace. But in, in, in essence, the people who are able to participate and really influence this marketplace are the, uh, constantly the same people. Like, mm -hmm. Yeah, but I pretty much agree with a lot of it, but I think Cliteur is already giving this, uh, these kind of lectures for a very long time. And since he's like affiliated with uh, Cherry Burdett's like, Rise and uh, with Forum, since then it's gonna, it is democratically also legitimated. Because, mm -hmm. yeah. legitimized, sorry. Because now he has a democratic mandate and then has enough votes that he actually has some population of Holland that is yeah, supporting, agreeing with those ideas. Yeah. And therefore, I also think, like, he's... I do get where you're coming from, and I think, like, the people that invited him personally are maybe privileged and, like, the old boys network, so mm -hmm. to speak. But... Like now he's uh, famous for with a democratic uh, legitimacy that is by all sorts of people, like like a, a part of Holland. So yeah. I think I totally agree with that. I think one thing I wanted to add is that um, this idea of sort of presence and who do you give a platform and um, I mean, it, I think it also works both ways because um, recently uh, an article in the Volkskrant uh, talked about how Form of the democracy got a lot of media attention, mm -hmm. and he was um, the moment he got into the second chamber, it was like the first moment he got attention. And apparently, uh, in this sort of in between time, like in between that election and this election, um, Form for the Democracy got the most media attention. Like after Mark Rutte, you had um, Cherry Baudet, who had like mm -hmm. who was uh, mentioned the most, invited the most, because people thought of him as sort of maybe uh, as a clown or. Uh, or as a sort of interesting figure to to have a discussion with, because he'll incite something. And how do you do? You feel that maybe um, inviting such a guest to a program can also have this effect of um, that people would almost need some sort of controversy or or a guest like this to to generate more attention for an event. Or or do you feel like that might not be the case at all? I think because of today's society where we're in, we're in, everything is really quick and everybody can go on social media and post their own views. I think that's becoming more and more part. I'm not saying that's a good uh, development, but I do think there's some uh, need for controversy. We see it with Trump. We see it with other populist leaders among Western Europe, you know, by which they are getting a platform by being controversial. Mm -hmm. And like the boring uh, Mark Rutte, which is a very um, degelijk, what's that? Like Sound straight. kind of yeah, moderate. boring, yeah. Moderate. Is, yeah, moderate person. He's becoming less popular and he's now prime minister, so he's popular for uh, doing a good job or not depending on your views. But also like the boring ministers, everybody's fed up with that. You see it with Pwned, like this controversial station was trying to provoke every politician. They were fed up with these boring answers and they're not saying that is a nice way to go, but 
you see it more and more that the media is like trying to get controversy and the scoop and it has to be quick without second uh, thoughts or something. That's why I like this podcast because mm. we have a long conversation mm. and I yeah. don't feel like it's finished yet. So, <laughs> Yeah, so regarding that idea of contra controversy and how that can help uh, populist uh, mm -hmm. leaders to, to grow their platform, I think that is indeed a very serious issue that is ongoing at the moment. And I think that what we really need there is for also for media outlets to just acknowledge their role in this and to acknowledge how they are just trying to sell content more effectively by focusing on highly controversial topics and highly controversial, um, highly controversial individuals and politicians uh, rather than, than on the actual content of I issues, like not, not really talking about like Like, okay, so what are the actual numbers when we're talking about immigration, for example, mm -hmm. right? Like, that's a thing you very rarely hear. <laughs> But there's a lot of, like, okay, this person said that, and that person said that, and oh, my God, the scandal and all that stuff. So that's, and that is, like, playing directly into the hand of right-wing populists. That's, or, like, any populist. Yeah, like, yeah, it, it, would, it just yeah. plays into the hand of populist uh, po politics, basically, which I don't think is a strong... Is a, is a good I idea at all. And maybe it's a symptom of our times, but I do think, mm. I do also believe that there's a strong degree of complicity in how media um, does these things, right? Mm. Like, I mean, they can make choices, they can make editorial choices about like how to frame issues, how to present issues, and whether to focus on issues or on controversial people and the latest strange and absolutely disgusting thing that they said, you yeah. know? Yeah, but so, okay, so I guess, so maybe you, you see this polarization, you see people maybe seeking for the limit, might also be um, influenced by internet culture. Mm -hmm. But um, since we're now sort of already talking about controversial ideas, um, I would like to sort of bring the discussion sort of back to uh, maybe hate speech. No, it was super good. Um, so I guess, um, so you have controversial ideas, and I think we would, uh, would sort of still allow for controversial ideas to be voiced as long as there is sort of... Um, somebody else to counter it in a way but then what is when do you say this is the limit now now we stop this is um the moment where you cannot speak anymore if you if, if you have these kinds of ideas or mm. do you feel that there is a limit or a line or yes i think that's a really interesting question and i think it's really in easy to answer in a sense or maybe it's difficult to answer in specific cases because there's all these nuances right but uh for me in in, a, in as a general guiding principle as soon as Um, uh, as soon as what someone is saying is trying to is 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 aiming to uh, exclude people from the public from from the public discourse or dehumanize a, a group of people, uh, kind of uh, kind of saying in a sense that this group of people they're just inherently problematic. They shouldn't really be part of our society. And thus kind of suggesting very strongly, like, well, kind of without even having to say it specifically, if you say like, okay, this group of people shouldn't really be part of our society, they shouldn't have a part in this democracy, uh, people who, who adhere to the Islamic faith, for example, uh, that is just like the Islamic faith is in inherently incompatible with our Western values or something like that. That is the first step 
in, in my view, towards the dehumanization of a, 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 a rather large minority. And as uh, for me, anything that is going in that direction of dehumanizing or or delegitimizing the the presence or or equality of a certain minority could be should be not part of what is allowed to be uh, protected by yeah. freedom of speech. I mean, yes, it falls under freedom of speech that you can say these things, but the freedom of speech argument should not, in my view, be uh, used as an argument to say, oh, but this has to be heard, this has to be given a platform. Uh, no, I don't think so. Yeah, I've got like three questions actually. Hmm. Because I, I think the the role of this person that is saying these stuff is really important. If you're a politician, it's different than um, me on this podcast, I guess. <laughs> I'm not as important, I'm not speaking to such a large uh, audience, etc. Et I also think like, where do you decide when it's offending on a minority? Because I've never strictly heard Thierry Baudet say it's the, like with these last, uh, there was this train uh, sh shooting mm -hmm. or tram shooting. And there he was kind of saying it was the fault of a year long of the, of the Muslims. Mm -hmm. It's what's being said now. But he actually said it's because of years of policy where we let everybody into our country. And okay, I one second. Oh, Does it work? Right. So the question was: like uh, Do you think it's important that the role uh, of a person that is speaking does it really matter? Because a politician has a different audience than me. Uh, I think it's important in the sense of audience. And when you're talking about audience, you're talking about like how large is the platform that a person has to uh, to voice their ideas. And so, yes, I think in a sense that is important because I do believe that there are some things that should just be completely considered hate speech and should not be allowed to be said at all. But there are also a lot of ideas and uh, views that just go in the direction of hate speech mm -hmm. and which I believe... Uh, can be said in a private conversation, perhaps yeah. uh, in a discussion among friends, maybe. But to phrase to to broadcast to broadcast them on national television to give them the legitimacy of a philosophical debate, or to, to or to place or to put them um, in the, up for discussion in the second chamber, that's like a a very different, mm -hmm. a, a very different level of audience and of reach, where I don't believe those things should have a no, place. Yeah. To be honest, I agree because uh, you seen with builders, there was uh, a few years ago. He said like, minder, 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 less, less, yeah. less. <laughs> yeah, and he was fined for that as well. He's like, he's, I think that's was, very good. Yeah, yeah. because it it's was only six thousand. Yeah, so it's not really a big punishment, but it was a sign of the law. You know. Still very good that they acknowledged that yeah. what, this that this was hate speech and that it was not uh, acceptable uh, to to yeah just basically call for how how are you going because that's kind of the question then right like if you if you if you say like okay we we need fewer immigrants here or we need fewer 
like we need to reduce the Muslim po population in the Netherlands. That's very all nice and well to say that, but like, how yeah, are you exactly. going to get to that yeah. point, right? Like, so indirectly, it's it's it may not be calling directly calling for uh, hate hateful attacks on this community, but it is indirectly clearly suggesting that that community is a problem and should be taken that should be taken care of. So that is that is, is really a fine it's line, a, right? It's an yeah. indirect yeah. way to say kind of the same thing, in my view. Yes. And One thing I was this? wondering. No, sorry. No, but for me, um, I often feel like the moment where it's like the moment it goes wrong for me is when it incites action. Yeah. The moment when you say, um, when people, when you want people to go out and I don't know, maybe attack immigrants, um, you know, um, throw uh, fire or set mosques on fire. I guess for me that's the point where that's for me that's the fine line. But that's a different line than the one Veerde is discussing. Yeah. yeah. Because I believe that there's a that there's a gradual escalation of what kinds of ideas are uh, are acceptable in a public discourse. So if you keep allowing people who keep pushing the accept the, like the rain, acceptable range of public discourse further and further to the right, further and further into like the normalization of the dehumanization of certain minorities, that is, in my view, a, a very important. That is exactly their strategy. That's how they're building towards actual, uh, actual violence against such. But the line is violence, and there you're saying you should already cut it earlier. Earlier, yes, because yeah. by the time by the time people go uh, and do actual violent acts acts against uh, a community, against a, a yeah, against any community, I think that. Uh, that is usually the effect of years and years of of extensive normalization of the dehumanization of that community. And that is like, so for me, like saying this group should not really be part of our society or this group uh, should have fewer rights than other citizens in our society. That is all, those are all gradual steps of towards dehumanization and any kind of dehumanization, I, I think, just should never have a place within a, a democratic uh, society and within within the public discourse of a democratic society because, well, if you don't treat all your citizens with the same respect, if they're not all equal, then 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 it's not really a democracy in my view that's not then mm. then you're losing the whole foundation of how this democracy works. Everyone should be equal like that's the first principle kind mm. of right. Like it's also art, Article One in the yeah, Dutch exactly. law. Yeah. Every every yeah. every Dutch citizen is equal mm -hmm. uh, in relation to the state. So as soon as you're starting to legitimize the state, distinguishing between different groups and saying like, oh, this group should maybe they're, they're they're kind of a problem. Maybe we should like limit their freedoms a little bit or stuff like that. That's that's the first step towards dehumanizing. Uh, that group, and that's a breach of contract, I think, between citizens and the state. Mm -hmm. so. And how to legislate that? Exactly. Because there is an aspect of law here, right? Mm -hmm. For example, we, we spoke about Wilders. Mm -hmm. He got a fine after saying what he said, right? Yeah. Do you think this is a good measure? Do you think that Wilders should, like, I don't know, not be allowed anymore to make public speech? Or, or how to legislate and how to put the state to legislate that? So I think I think it's very uh, it's I think it's not so productive uh, in this case to talk about uh, how to legislate these things. I think it's like because what we're practically talking about is like 
the role of institutions like the university or other cultural institutions that they can play in this mm-hmm. and they don't need they don't need to have law on their side when they decide like okay sure this is an opinion uh, that a lot of people think is valid but on the grounds of the fact that we think that is that it is going in the direction of dehumanizing a certain group mm-hmm. we believe that it should not have a place in uh, in an academic debate, mm-hmm. I think that could be and there do a solution disagree. from the from the level yeah. of 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 organizers like of mm-hmm. events, which mm-hmm. I am far more familiar with than mm-hmm. than law. the level <laughs> of legislation. Yeah, right? no, okay, but yeah, I do agree with that, and I think the law is like secondary. But for that's the difference. I I do disagree that the university should be able to get Paul here and other uh, uh, people that have a little bit odd, so to speak, uh, opinions. Because it goes both ways, because there are also a lot of students I know that are really fed up with, you know, the SP or communist people that are coming here and talk. Mm -hmm. So should they also be banned? No, they should be able to voice their opinions. And and I think Forum is, what you're saying, it's also on the edge of what is law, is it less less legislatable? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, correct. And then it gets to the next level. But I think like the academic the academic world is the place to have this debate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wanna I wanna hook in on that uh, on mm-hmm. on what you just said mm-hmm. um, because you now mention this in the same line as. Um, uh, speakers from the SP or like other yeah, radical, yeah. like more uh, SP, I Radicals, wouldn't even consider no, it radical leftists. I, I, would, I, I think yeah. that a lot, <laughs> sorry. a lot, there's yeah. a lot that is far on the left of the exactly. political yeah. spectrum of the SP, fortunately. Um, although not so much in parliamentary politics, uh, unfortunately. Uh, but um, I think that so I think there, there's a fundamental difference here because yes, uh, you you can be accepting uh, radical opinions of all different kinds, right? And give them platforms. I think that is in a way healthy and it's like creating academic and political diversity. It's like opening the debates basically, opening the floor for all kinds of different views and then the idea is then academics are like trained to be critical of everything and they can consider all these opinions and they can mm-hmm. like kind of hold mm-hmm. them against each other. But there is a different, there is a strong difference between people who are like, well, um, everyone should have a basic universal income and people who are saying, well, I think this particular minority is a serious problem for our society and should not be part of our society. Do you see the I very fundamental the, yeah. difference between these two things. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're you're talking about on the one hand people who are arguing, um, perhaps very for radical, a noble cause perhaps, and, yeah, yeah, but you, you don't even have to accept that this is a noble cause or that you that this mm-hmm. is a good thing or something they're arguing for. You can be completely against what they believe, but what they what they believe and what they're promoting is not the dehumanization of a minority. It's not saying like, okay, these people, wait, we, so it's not attacking anyone's identity, right? Like in the same, in the same sense, 
I would I would feel the same about like if 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 one of the signees of the Nashville statement yeah. would would be invited to the night of uh, philosophy to mm-hmm. explain why they think homosexuality is a sin and that it should just not be allowed within uh, especially within the church but in in society in general kind of I would be out there protesting against that as well because I I believe that any kind of any kind of uh, view where you really go against uh, like you kind of try to delegitimize, you try to de like discredit and and make make uh, I don't know. I'm trying to not yeah. use the word dehumanize all the time, but it does oh, yeah, kind yeah, of come yeah. down that to that. Sense. Like I do yeah. get if, you, yeah. uh, if you're trying to really attack a, sp- a specific community, which by law is simply part of our <laughs> of our democratic society. Yeah. Then I think that is like that is why you that is where the issue arises. It's not in how radical or weird or diverse the opinions are. I think that like so you mm-hmm. call Paul Cliteur odd, right? Or like we like kind of like out there with his views. And yeah. I think people who have who, people have we have have views that are kind of like outlying of the of the broad mainstream are very interesting and they should always be heard and should be considered because that those views as 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 insightful or ridiculous as they, as they may be, they 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 can teach us something. But uh, the view that a certain group is has no right to exist or has no right to exist within our society, that doesn't teach us anything that we don't already know from the Second World War. Like it yeah, it just teaches us exact like it's it's nothing new. It's not it's also it's not insightful. It's not. It's not even con- it's not even all that controversial. Sadly, I mean, a lot of people have views that go in that direction. It's it's in a way, it's just like really boring old fascism. You know, it's not it's not an interesting weird view. I would be so interested in like I was super interested in like if I had actually been able to go to the night of philosophy when I and wasn't protesting outside, I would have loved to go to that weird uh, lecture on flat Earth. Like I would yeah. have loved that. Like. That's that's stuff that I, I I like a lot, you know. This weird, like people promoting mm-hmm. absolutely strange theories and opinions is very interesting to me. Not that I'm a flat earther by any <laughs> means, but like, I mean, for the record. Yeah. Yeah. Just one question, because I really oh, yeah. don't know Pocahontas with this. He's really defending this kind of ideas, as we are, because like your last, it sounded to me a little bit as kind of a stereotypization of. He was really defending the dehumanization that, like, I guess it's Muslims, they don't have the right to stay in the Netherlands. It was explicitly that, or there was an interpretative... No, it's more like, um, so he writes a book on theoterrorism, which he defines as uh, terrorism that is committed uh, from, like, with the motivation of a belief in a monotheistic God, right? Mm. But then the entire book focuses entirely and exclusively on terrorism uh, that is done in the name of Islam Mm. and terrorism that affected... And also terrorist also focuses exclusively on terrorist uh, acts done by um, Muslim fundamentalists. And in the West, in like... The U.S. Not in either. in Western Europe, etc. Right, uh, thereby completely ignoring uh, the, the yeah, but also com- completely ignoring the amount 
of um, Muslim people who have actually died in uh, terrorist attacks by <laughs> by yeah. Islamic right, yeah. fundamentalists, right? Jihadists have killed more Muslims yeah. than 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 Westerners, <laughs> or like what? Like I'm like. I don't want to d- no, 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 use no. that weird dichotomy of Westerner versus Muslim, like because of course a lot of Westerners are Muslims. But I mean, they have killed a lot of, they mm. have killed more Muslims than Christians, for example, or atheists. So, um, so the what Pauliteur really does is kind of like creates the theoretical uh, background that you then need that you need as a kind of foundation to then to then make uh, statements such as what Thierry Baudet is saying, like we are we are um, in the middle of a homeopathic um, uh, thinning Extinction, or yeah. like thinning or yeah. dis, di, not distillation, no, a homeopathic mixing of our society yeah. that is making that is that is causing our our Western society to break down and what what that. Very clearly, is what he what is clearly very clearly intended with those kind of statements is we should not let other cultures into our Western culture because our Western culture is this really great, amazing culture of enlightenment uh, and freedom of speech, and any other influence that we external influences that we let in can only like spoil that. So we should put a stop to that. So um, I don't know. That's kind of like mm-hmm. it is. A, it is just difficult to exactly um, put uh, a rope around this complicated dragon that they've created and just say like okay this is its neck and this is where we like gonna cut it off or something it's like it's very complicated because they have built a whole like they've built a whole theoretical background first basically of why like lo- which which points out perfectly like all the problems that this this group would be causing in Western society, and then from that they come with their radical policies and stuff like their 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 policies to start to exclude that group, right? So it's like a it's a general like a slow step by step legitimization of 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 ex- exclusion basically. Mm-hmm. Can I just? Yes, I have one more question. Yeah, we were talking about why we should allow far left extremists and mm-hmm. not far right extremists because yeah. they are fighting for equality, so to speak, and not de- dehumanizing mm-hmm. uh, groups. While on the other hand, the far right are saying some groups are better and are really fighting or saying that equality is something that uh, on inequality is something that can also be good to some level, and yeah. then it depends on how far right you go. Mm-hmm. So. But it, we're living in a democracy, and therefore I think if it's really a conviction of somebody, and you know, there are also parties that are saying some inequality and then really basic, like for instance, I should get paid more than another person, mm-hmm. that kind of inequality. And then you have the Chebudets or the forums that are saying the, they're going this next step to uh, groups of people. but. Isn't it true that in a dom- democracy, if people have this conviction, they should be able to voice it somehow? Because otherwise, maybe some people are really convinced that we are better. And, mm-hmm. or some, we, and for record, I'm not voting for them or something. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> but 
if these people have this conviction, then it's better, I, I'd say, to talk about it and try to convince them to go see the world as it is or something, inspired of instead of like just mm. leaving them there. Because I think that's also why they have grown so big, because nobody takes them seriously. Yeah. And it's becoming more like a protest uh, vote. Yeah. yeah, and that's kind of the democratic mm. impact that I see, uh, which would allow for them to speak or something, or voice somehow mm. what they're convic convinced of. Sorry for my English, by the way, everybody. But <laughs> no, it's... I think you do make a really good point. Like it's a, it's this is indeed like a fundamental question that we need to ask ourselves. Like, yeah. so you have all these disgruntled, white, mostly white, right, <laughs> voters, right, who are like, okay, so politics is not really like parliamentary politics at the moment is not really representing our interests. Yeah. It seems like on every level of uh, society, there's a push towards. Uh, making things more inclusive of minorities, but uh, I do not really feel included as a white uh, person or something like that, which doesn't really make, strange because it really doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But apparently, people have this this kind yeah. of fear or these fe feelings. Um, so, and how do you how do you make these people feel like okay, we we're like we we're taking you seriously. We we do understand like what you what you're what you're feeling or yeah, like we're exactly. interested in what you're. We, we're not just ignoring you because ignore, I, I do agree with you that ignoring such a group could just like lead them to only, just, up, yeah. only talk with themselves and yeah. radicalize even further and just become like extreme right hate groups basically, right? Like so, mm -hmm. it's a very complicated yeah, exactly. question to which I do not exactly know the, uh, uh, the answer. That's, uh, I think it's a beautiful sort of mini speech <laughs> to, uh, to end the podcast with, I guess. Um, thank you both very much for your uh, ideas uh, and your presence here. And um, I guess this is it for our podcast. Yes. Thank you a lot. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs>So I think that was a was a very interesting discussion. Uh, yeah. Diego, what do you think? Ah, I really liked the discussion. It was quite. It was a discussion that it could have gone to a place of more debate or more fierce discussion, but mm -hmm. I really enjoyed that we were able to just keep the discussion in a gezellig <laughs> way. You know, the discussion was really like, and for me, as I said in the beginning, it was quite informative as well and, and, and interesting to, to be able to participate on this kind of discussions as well here in the Netherlands. Right, yeah. I also feel, um, one thing I really felt is that even though people have seemingly opposing views, when you really put two people in a room together, it doesn't really, um, yeah, it's not as black and white as you would think. And I think that is important and maybe something a good podcast could do. <laughs> or maybe she should yeah. have said good. But. <laughs> no, but that's true. That's true. And also, like, only to have this opportunity of having a conversation and looking to each other in the face and, and debating and stuff. For me, it's something that it's very valuable and that we should should produce more moments, more opportunities for this kind of stuff to happen because then people can... I don't know if you are going to be optimist here to realize that there are more things in similar than than so much difference. And so and sometimes I guess that's like especially the media and this kind of 
controversy politics mm -hmm. reinforce right. so much our differences and in the end you can see that maybe there are more stuff actually bounding us together right yeah one thing i also found interesting is how we started to talk we had a very um yeah specific subject which was um free speech versus hate speech but well, we ended up really talking about uh populism and democracy and all these bigger themes um I think this might be something that sort of fits our generation. I would say like the people who are now millennials, I think. Or do you do you think that too? Or Yeah, I think that this discussion is really hot all over the world, at least like the Western world. Like I know that this is also something that is being discussed in Brazil as well. And I think that to discuss democracy when we discuss free speech makes a lot of sense because in the end, it's a little bit a prerogative of democracy to be able to, to have the free speech, you know, and to say what do we want. But at the same time, there is this this thin line separating free speech from hate speech. And also democracy has to 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 be able to deal with that, I think. Because we I don't know, I I really agree with Fidler when she says that when we have a moment in, in in which like a group of people is being exposed to a kind of uh, dehumanization, mm -hmm. this is not democratic anymore. And uh, and it shouldn't be seen poorly as free speech. So I think that this discussion is super, super relevant nowadays and and, and we should actually have it much more. I, I, I would think so. Even because I, I, from my, for myself, from my position, I still don't have like a clear cut where I would say, okay, from here, we don't allow you anymore to speak. And also these, these ideas of like how to do not allow someone to speak, what would be the best strategies because... From my perspective, for example, I really don't agree with Pope Litter, let's say, from the things that I, I heard that he was saying. But at the same time, it seems to me that it's complicated to just like put a law or just not allow him to speak. And and maybe that, that we can find like strategies or tactics that will do a kind of a sabotage instead of mm -hmm. a, a complete opposition. I don't know. I don't know. I really don't know. But I think that this is why we should discuss it much more. I think... Uh... I very much agree with you. So let's discuss more. Uh, so um, I would think I think this is a good way to end this conversation. Uh, I would like special thanks to our um, also contributor to the podcast, uh, Janneke Strasdina, and obviously our sound guy, Martin Bregman. Without them, uh, we would not be broadcasting any of this. So stay tuned for our next episodes. Yes. See you soon. <laughs>